Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight Talk from Israel. Shalom Yudim, Shalom Le'Bnei Noach, Shalom Le'Goyim. It's the evening of the fourth day, Erev Tesvav, V'chodesh Melchizvan, Parashas V'yera, Tashin Pei Gimel, 5783, the evening of the third day, Tuesday, 8 November 2022. You're listening to Phantom Nation, the fourth in a series of six podcasts sponsored by Floridians for Israel Institute at gmail.com. Hearing it on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, coming to you from Schizoid Israel in the common sense, if not clinical, crystallized in the Israeli motto, a Jewish and a democratic state, which I believe is nonsense. It cannot be both at the same time, democratic and Jewish. That's illogical. Not that there's anything wrong with democracy. Until Moshiach arrives, it seems to be the best way to manage a large group of people. It's just that in a democracy, all people are equal. When the Jews claim to be a kingdom of priests, who by definition are separate from the laity, you know, a people that dwells alone. In 1948, the state of Israel's founders wanted to have their cake and eat it too. They wanted a state for the Jewish people, but would treat non-Jews in this state equally. This makes no sense. And one manifestation of this irrationality is the inability of the non-Jews in Israel with citizenship to sing the national anthem. Likewise, the national flag flies the shield of the greatest of Jewish kings, David, model for the future Messiah, with whom the non-Jews here cannot identify. The founder and editor-in-chief of the Times of Israel website is David Horowitz, who today wrote, I paraphrase, the elections last week highlighted the split in Israel between those who want a Jewish state and those who want a democratic state, close quote, which I say is a verbal smokescreen, a democratic state. Uh, what the democratic types like Horowitz have in mind by democratic is the opposite of what Jews uh, think and do. Uh, Jews who are, by etymological genealogy, God-thankers. The very name Jew alludes to Mother Sarah thanking Hashem for her fourth son. Versus Horowitz's democratic Israelis, who in effect are infidel Jews. They're not loyal to our immortal metaphysics and way of life. I've known numerous Israelis for whom Israeli is their identity. For them, the label Jew connects to religious belief, uh, so they cannot identify as Jews. They've told me they're not Jews, they're Israelis. Horowitz wrote, quote, The more fateful shift marked by Tuesday's vote is the elevation of the foundational principle of Israel as a democratic state, the parties for which those two core values have equal weight or for which the democratic imperative outweighs our country's Jewish centrality. Uh, those were beaten soundly. With Israel's founding party labor on the brink of obliteration and merits wiped out, close quote. There's more from Horvitz. Uh, so now listen for symptoms of his divided self, which matches his confusion about democratic and Jewish at the same time. He wrote, quote, 
the ultra-Orthodox parties with all their with their all-male Knesset members rose, and so too, uh, in particular, did religious Zionism, led by Bitsalo Smotrich, who ultimately seeks an Israel according to the laws of the Torah. And Ben Gvir, whose Otzma Yehudit's most recent manifesto advocates the annexation of the biblical Judea and Samaria for an enlarged sovereign Jewish state in which capital W, capital B, West Bank Palestinians would be denied equal rights, close quote. There's so much here that's wrong. Uh, number one, uh, what is wrong uh, with an all-male Knesset he seems to object to? Why? The Sanhedrin was all men. Number two, and what is wrong with the Smotrich's desire that the state be a Torah-observant state? Torah, it means teaching. Uh, that's what the word means. It has sustained this people for thousands of years, unlike every other people in history that you can think of who are no more. And, only are, and not only are we still alive and they are gone, and those many, too many who abused us terribly, Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, Romans... Byzantine Christians, Nazis, Communists, Islamists, all thirsty for Jewish blood. But we continue alive and kicking, and uh, this would never have happened if, like uh, Reformed Jews and others, we had jettisoned the five books and the Talmud. For the only facet of Jewish life that is transmissible from generation to generation is the religion, its beliefs, and behaviors. Uh, Jewish children become Jews not by anything learned in a school or even a yeshiva, but from what goes on in the home. So, what's wrong with a proven ideology embedded in a constitution, a.k.a. the five books, that has preserved this people as no other ideology religion ever has? Notice in Horowitz's piece, uh, symptom number three, his recoil, by implication, uh, of the idea of annexing Judea and Samaria, when I say, we have no choice but to do that. And why no choice? Because world anti-Jewry wants us uh, to remove all the Jews from Judea and Samaria, drive them out of their homes, as Jews have been driven from their homes by cruel Gentiles countless times. It's the final scene in the Broadway entertainment called Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, they want to see, world anti-Jewry does, Judea and Samaria turned over to the Muslims, disguised these days as ancient Palestinians, the evacuation of the half-million Jews uh, plus would also, of course, mean the dismantling as well of all military installations, bases, radar antenna, uh, which mass retreat would also render Israel defenseless because, like the retreat from Gaza, uh, a lesson has to be learned. Retreating from Judea and Samaria would lead eventually to rule by the Muslim Brotherhood, as in Gaza, and some Israel cannot survive by retreating from Judea and Samaria. Israel has no choice but to uh, claim sovereignty and fight for that. It cannot turn Judea and Samaria over to these barbaric anti-Semitic Arabs whose religion encourages their Jew hatred and, and survive that. Notice, too, in Mr. Horowitz's opinion, his reference to, quote, biblical Judea and Samaria, which is code for religious Judea and Samaria, but by the end of the same sentence, he, his divided self emerges as he objects to, quote, an enlarged sovereign Jewish state in which West Bank Palestinians would be denied equal rights, close quote. Which is it, Judea and Samaria, or is it West Bank? Where is it written that Israel 
rightfully claiming this territory, that is the land, the real estate of Judea and Samaria, means Israel has to as well treat the people here in the future as fellow citizens, fellow nationalist lovers of Israel, equal citizens with the right to vote, not Knesset. Where is this written? that Israel, uh, rightfully claiming the territory, uh, the land, the, the real estate of Judea and Samaria, also has to uh, treat the people on, these, on this land as one's fellow nationalist lovers, patriots, equal citizens with the right to vote in the Israeli Knesset. Israel does not, after annexation, have to bestow citizenship on these barbaric Arabs, whose idea of a hero is a murderer at random of unsuspecting defenseless Jews, these people name schools and parks for these agents, these angels from hell. Today, another Jewish man died from wounds when he patronized an Arab store, where clearly a decision was made on the spot, with no malice of war thought, by a Muslim, with a knife who plunged it into him three times. The man survived, as I understand it, uh, in the hospital and recovered and was sent home, but suddenly something went wrong inside him and he died. Another innocent Jewish man murdered by an Arab, likely a Muslim, who clearly believes in the rightness of what he did. The Jews are the Muslim's greatest enemy, it says in the Quran. We are agents of Satan. But don't tell that to Israelis who prefer to see in these Muslims strivers for a state of their own, which is one of the great anti-Semitic lies of the last century. This war of national liberation waged by the Palestinians, just like other colonized people, Occupied by strangers from afar, that's who these Zionists were. This fantasy uh, of a Palestinian people did not really get off the ground until the 1970s. But notice uh, we no longer hear of the uh, PLO, that council of uh, terror gangs with pseudo-political titles, you know, like the Democratic Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. You don't hear about them anymore. Today, we hear about only Hamas, which is the Muslim Brotherhood, and its rival called Islamic Jihad. David Horvitz's divided self was also on display when he switched from referring to Judea and Samaria to West Bank, which is it, Mr. Horowitz, Horowitz, Yehuda Shamon or West Bank. And while you're at it, why do you call these people Palestinians when there's nothing Palestinian about them? Thank you. 
Yeah, we live in the age of Oslo, by which I mean the lexicon of our time in which the relationship between Jews and the dominant Gentile culture that surrounds us on three sides. Uh, we are today some 7 million Jews surrounded by some 550 million people, mostly Muslims, whose religion is drenched in Jew hatred. The reason Oslo failed was the dubious intellectual foundation in the minds of Rabin in Paris, uh, not irrelevantly products of Marxist thinking, starting with the basic tenet of Marxism, that there is no God and religion is a nonsensical narcotic. In this universe, Rabin in Paris perceived in Arafat a secular nationalist leader like them, not at all like uh, his rivals in Hamas, 
with whom Paris and Rabin knew peace talks was just impossible, though with those religious Muslims. Those two men of no Jewish and no secular education believed that with Fatah, Israel could go into partnership because the Palestinians, just like the Jews, wanted a state of their own in their ancient homeland, too. David Horvitz also objected to Ben Gvir uh, a few days back, whipping out his gun when he felt threatened by stone throwers and even insisted that nearby police shoot them. This bothers democratic liberals like David Horowitz, who also objected to Ben Gvir in his victory speech after the elections, uh, praising the radical settler Rabbi Dovli Ol and Bensi Gopstein, head of the Lehava organization that fights the temptation among some young Jews, commonly unmarried women, to marry an Arab. Horowitz called Lehava a racist and homophobic organization. And here in these words, Horowitz exposes his own, there's no other word for it, anti-Semitism because that always manifests as lying about Jews. And it's a lie that the Jewish identity has anything to do with physical appearance, that is, with race. These men are not racists. The Jews are not a race, and the Jewish religion says nothing of skin color, nothing of the shape of the eye, the texture of the hair. This is what David Horowitz did by smearing Mr. Gobstein and associates with being racists. Horowitz also objects to this organization's opposition to men sodomizing one another. That is the meaning of calling someone homophobic. Sigmund Freud chose a Greek word for fear, phobia, and used it to categorize baseless fears, irrational fears, so that homophobic means someone who is irrationally fearful of homosexuality. When I say there's nothing irrational about objecting to the behavior at all, this behavior ignited an epidemic of a terrible disease called AIDS, which was cultivated and propagated and spread around the world via homosexual encounters between men who didn't even know each other's names. Indeed, they engaged in orgies in which hundreds of them participated and thus violated God's plan for creation. He designed the process to be a most pleasurable procedure, but when men misuse this organ for a purpose other than procreation, they, so to speak, embezzle the pleasure without the procreation. That is what the men of Sodom and Gomorrah did, and why God Almighty acted as he did. He didn't like their behavior big time. Horvitz is right, though, to focus on this welcome rise of religious Zionism here, because the only thing that sustains the Jewish people is the religion, versus the aspiration of the secular Zionists who wanted a new Jew who would not be religious. And for short is this hostility to religion that fuels the hatred of Ben Gvir and Smotrus, and in particular the latter who returns the hostility from the secular back to them on Sunday. The unusual session of the Kedeset was dedicated to remembering Yitzhak Rabin, really, though, less about remembering him and his life than remembering his murder. Today, dedicated as much to the religious right as to Rabin himself, a cause to remember the evil done by a religious Zionist. Not that I in any way applaud what Yigal Amir did. On the contrary, I don't applaud what Baruch Goldstein did in 1994, murdering all those Muslims in, in Hebron and sealing his own suicidal fate whose photograph was on display in Ben Gavir's home for much of his adult life. And because this annual ceremony cannot be conducted 
without the hostility to the religious right, Vitsalo Smotrish, uh, could not let the event go by uh, without expressing his bitterness, uh, the bitterness of the religious right, at the refusal by the left to acknowledge the high probability that the GSS encouraged their man on the ground, their plant, Avishai Raviv, to encourage Amir to do what he did. In a better legal culture, this might be called entrapment, tempting a potential criminal to carry out his crime. I certainly do not put it past the GSS to do this, for they are Israelis who don't like the, to park between the lines. They like thumbing their noses at the rules. My own dealings with Israeli cops have been less than pleasant, too. Not that I approve at all, not of, of Smotrich's remarks that ticked off the left unnecessarily, claiming that the GSS manipulated the lead-up to the assassination, not necessarily because they wanted to harm Rabin, but to tempt Amir to make the attempt, uh, and then foil his plan, catch him in the act, and emerge famous, famous men in the GSS and the country. Smotrich might have phrased his bitter... Uh, accusation better than he did, more elegantly, but uh, of course Israelis are not known for their elegance.
That was Ehud, that is Udi Davidi. And you're listening to the program program on phantomnation.com. Yeah, uh, Smotrich might have better phrased his impolite interjection in what was formerly a remembrance of Rabin. And the response to him by outgoing chief of staff Aviv Kahavi was just mindless. He said, quote, Rabin was murdered because of wild incitement and intolerance. He was murdered because of a loss of values and morals. What? What values? What morals? One curiosity regarding the assassination of Rabin is why only one Israeli Jew made the attempt, but lots of people were on edge thanks to the homicidal horrors happening in the country thanks to Rabin. Rabin was murdered because he was responsible for the murder at that point, I'm guessing, of scores of Jews. One would have to do some uh, archival research to find out the exact number of victims at that point. We do know that the ghoul Yasser Arafat was led into the country by Rabin in July of 1994. He and some 40,000 other anti-Semitic Muslim terrorists, and Rabin was murdered in November 1995. It is a year and four months later. By that time, many Israelis were in a panic, Shimon Peres was wanly smiling at that point that they were the victims for peace, and if the uh, as if the phenomenon was a marginal side effect that would disappear as his messianic hostile plan unfolded. Yitzhak Rabin was slain because he was undoubtedly responsible for all those victims in that time period, thanks to the insane stupidity of bringing into the country tens of thousands of consciousless barbaric Arab killers. Rabin was understandably uh, perceived by some uh, as either stupid or out of his mind. In any case, Israel was bleeding thanks to him. Yes, his the crime was murder, uh, totally unjustifiable. But what of his own policies that killed more Jews than Yigal Amir's killing of him? Salas Montrich the next day reacted in self-defense to the angry criticism that he provoked by tweeting, quote, the abominable Yigal Amir murdered Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, <clears throat> and we are still pained and shocked by the terrible murder, close quote. But he did not retract his insinuation that the GSS planted Avishai Raviv to manipulate the situation. Indeed, there remains a classified section of the Shamgar Commission's investigation of the assassination dealing with Raviv's efforts. And until that classified section sees the light of day, the suspicion of GSS skullduggery will remain. Uh, we've seen recently in the States, uh, tragically, 
and the truth of the FBI morphing into a criminal organization, and the same could happen here. In fact, uh, I myself, uh, in May 1995, reported in the AFSI newspaper, that's the Americans for a Safe Israel news, newsletter, on the scuttlebutt in Israel here in the spring of 95, that there was so much terror, the left was afraid Rabin would pull the plug on Oslo because Jewish blood was spitting out of control. Rabin's career had been marked by a series of retreats, and the hard left feared he was on the verge of re retreating from Oslo because it was so bloody. So when he was murdered five months later, a plot by the left to get rid of him made as much sense as a plot from the right. If anyone wants a copy of that article, just ask and I'll uh, email you a copy. Last but not least this evening, apropos the fate of Judea and Samaria, State Department spokesman Ned Price reported on Friday that Secretary of State Antony Blinken had called, uh, uh, called up on the phone the headman of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, to, quote, underscore his deep concern over the situation, including heightened tensions, violence, and loss of both Palestinian and Israeli lives. And he emphasized that he needs all parties to de-escalate the situation ur urgently. He also discussed with Abbas, quote, joint efforts to improve the quality of life for the Palestinian people and enhance their security and freedom. And he further affirmed Washington's commitment to the two-state solution, close quote. This is uh, disgusting. This is nauseating. This Jew boy makes a salary of $221,400 a year, but can only bring himself to express his deep concern over the violence and loss of both Palestinian and Israeli lives, close quote. Is the United States an ally of Israel and the Palestinians equally? I don't think so. What would be so terrible if he explicitly distinguished between the victims of Israeli violence and Palestinian violence? There's no comparison. The Jews who lose their lives here commonly are murdered at random by these antediluvian savages versus the so-called Palestinians who lose their lives thanks to Israel's warriors uh, behaving in exactly the opposite manner. Uh, there is no moral equivalence between the two societies. Arab Muslims murder defenseless Jews at random. Our guys try to arrest uh, specific Arabs with names known for their anti-Jew violence. These are terrorists. And our guys only kill when the other side resists. It would not kill Anthony Blinken to distinguish between our side and theirs. Praise Israel for its civilized behavior and tongue-lash the Palestinians for their barbaric murders of Jews at random.
that was Yehuda Glantz. Okay, this has been the fourth in a series of six weekly podcasts of uh, Phantom Nation, the uh, title as well of a book of the same name sponsored by Floridians for Israel Institute at gmail.com. More than one reader has called it the best book ever on the war against Israel by Islam, currently camouflaged as the putatively primeval Palestinian people about whom there is nothing Palestinian. I'll be back next Wednesday, God willing, and when this series is over, the podcast will continue three times a week on www.phantom-nation.com. I'm Shai Bentekoa. Shalom, this is Nadia Matar from the Sovereignty Movement. At a time when there is so much disinformation, you have to know who to listen to to know what really is going on in Israel. Israel News Talk Radio is the radio where you can know that what you hear is the truth. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dots, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dots from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.